Welcome to Finding Freedom with Bipolar. My name is Anna Lee, and I've been dealing with Bipolar 1 since diagnosed 21 years ago at the age of 17. This podcast episode is a part two continuation in talking to anyone who may be suicidal. If you haven't listened to part one, please listen to it first. In this episode, I will mainly be talking more about my personal story and information I learned in calling the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline. So as you've learned from the last podcast episode in talking about suicide, you learned a little bit about my story, and I feel like it would be helpful to to kind of know more about my story, and it does revolve mainly around my failed teaching career. Now, keep in mind, too, the reason why this was especially devastating to me is because this was my second failed attempt at teaching, and I'll kind of cover that story later, my first attempt with teaching. I actually was fired from that job. It was a horrible experience because I was fired basically because I needed, and I had a note from my psychiatrist that I needed a two-week leave. Um, You know, I, I needed to be hospitalized. Anyway, they just fired me. And I know that's against um, the Americans with Disabilities Act to be fired for dis- for a disability, but I was. Um, but anyway, it took a lot of like, okay, you know, getting kind of my head geared again, like, okay, I, you know, I had to go through a lot to get myself back to where I could try teaching again. You know, I took a year and then, you know, I got hired with a different school and so I'm so grateful I wasn't fired, but to go through this whole thing again where it blew up in my face and I couldn't keep teaching because I was so depressed, like, um, that I had to step down. It just, it was really hard for me. I had been living on my own, so it was kind of this mental an emotional blow to be back at my parents' home. Uh, But, you know, without income, that was the best option for me at the time. And it was just my parents at the home. Um, I'm the youngest, so there wasn't anyone else as of, you know, any of my siblings. So I was often alone. I remember the night of the day I, I stepped down from my teaching position. I... I uh, came home to my parents and I was just so empty inside. They wanted to watch a movie and <laughs> I was like, okay, I would I do need an escape from my mind. So I anyway, they watched Saving Private Ryan. I, I watched that with them and it's a war movie. And I just couldn't help think that it was kind of this signifying thing that oh, there was this death of my 27 students and two that there was this death of myself. I felt like 
I laid dying on the battlefield and um, it just felt, it, it just remember that feeling of depression and uh, failure and all the things were wrapped around me and um, it was kind of the start of spiraling down to a really dark place. A memory that sticks out to me, um, and there was a lot of things that happened during this period, but I remember sitting on my parents' couch, and it was in the main living area slash um, kind of dining room, and my parents had this grandfather ticking clock, and it was just quiet in the house, and I knew my parents were busy, like, in their study, but I was just sitting there depressed, like, no motivation to do anything, and um, just sitting there in my thoughts, and um, just to hear that pendulum, you know, ticking, it was like this heavy sound with every tick or sound of that clock, it just felt like I was wasting away and dying inside with every sound that resounded in my brain. Like I didn't, it was this weird um, kind of moment where it just felt like time was marching on, but I was slowly dying inside to the point where like, what is the point of being here. Um, and I also have this memory of, you know, I, I knew that I, I don't know, it was hard to be alone with thoughts. So sometimes I would just try to, oh, you know, kind of be in the main area, at least um, hear my parents a little bit, kind of get out of my head. But, you know, it wasn't the best environment because um, no social life, no whatever. But, um, I remember my mom, she was watering the plants and it just seemed like she was so busy, you know, cleaning and watering the plants. And she's a very clean person and she, um, likes to get things done. That's just part of her nature. Anyway, when she was watering the plants, it just felt like, I am dying over here. I mean, I need water. Like, at a certain point, I just felt ignored. Like, my parents didn't know what to do. Um, I was trying to go to therapy. Um, and I'll get to that in a minute. But I just felt like I was so dead inside. And I felt like it didn't matter. I felt like the plants were more important than me. I know this sounds so weird, but that's kind of the twisted thinking that was in my head is, um, you know, pulling from events that were happening around me. I was twisting it into this weird way. Um, so I do need to say, so after... I attempted and my mom found me. Um, so they did take me to the ER and I was admitted to the behavioral health unit. 
And, you know, that was the best place for me with where my mind was and everything. And um, uh, I won't go into that, but after, after I got, um, after I was, you know, discharged, um, it wasn't like everything went, was all like better. (laughs) I wish, I wish it was. Um, part of me doesn't want to kind of go into some of these details. I don't want to discourage anyone knowing, um, I wish things could get better overnight. Um, but coming back to what I've said earlier, things can improve better, like faster than you really think. But at the same time, things can still take time too. I do hope, however, that you will learn from my mistakes. Um, there's things that I did that if you can learn from, I think it will accelerate your progress. Um, after I was hospitalized, after my suicide attempt, um, I wish I could say I just came home and everything was better. And um, I do think, though, a mistake was um, not changing therapists um, to a better one. I had a therapist that didn't really help me. Um, we just kind of wallowed in my problems, and there wasn't any, like, um, I don't know, it just wasn't helpful. I wasn't getting practical steps of what I could do. You know, I wasn't finding hope. I was just, I was just swimming in the the darkness and coming out of those therapy appointments, feeling even um, more desperate about my situation. So it wasn't bringing me any sense of relief. And I didn't know at the time because, you know, I was still pretty new to therapy, but um, I didn't realize how how critical a good therapist can be once I changed to this excellent therapist that completely changed things around for me. And before I found that therapist, though, because I was just wallowing and, um, you know, basically pitying myself and all the things that go around in the mind with um, suicidal thinking and all that. I'd had these two other close attempts with suicide after the hospital. And I, part of me wants to say this to any um, family member um, that may think, and everyone, everyone's experience is different. So this is just my experience, but um, may be helpful to know that Sometimes we can have the false hope that, oh, they got out of the hospital, like everything should be better now, right? They were in the hospital and they're released and la da 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 da. I wish it was, I wish it was like that. I think it is like that for some people, but for me, it wasn't. And so, I don't know. I kind of felt like I slid under the radar a little bit more because I I put on that mask of, oh, yeah, things are better. Not really. Um, And that's when I had the two other close attempts. And, 
you know, each time before I was like thinking through it and thinking about doing it because I was, <sighs> I would go to the place that I had in my ha- my head of, you know, what I would do. I remember being in that place. Actually, it was in my car. And it was pure hell, pure mind hell. And um, I'm so grateful I didn't go through with it. But I was I was in that car for hours, just like trying to get to cur- the courage to do what in my head I I wanted to do. But there was oh, there was part of me that was like, Anneli, don't do this. You know, trying to talk myself out of it. Um, luckily, um, I'm trying to remember what happened for sure, but I think someone stopped and saw that my car was in this random spot. Yeah. Now that I'm thinking of it, there was a kind stranger that tapped on my window. That's right. (laughs) Oh my goodness. Um, but just that little tap on my window, it was like, okay, maybe, maybe I do matter. This stranger just stopped for me. Um, it kind of got me out of it. Um, There was another experience where I also had this method that I knew would work. And um, like, yeah, I just stood there for a long time. And then I decided, no, I'm not going to. Like, I'm I'm not going to do that. Like, it was this choice of totally could I totally could but um I'm not gonna do that but it still was so real and so hard to go through um and it's weird like suicide becomes like this little loop in the brain of okay I'm trying I'm doing you know I'm going to therapy I'm I'm doing what I need to do but like like suicide is still kind of like I don't know, it feels like it's this back pocket loophole of, well, if things don't really get better, then this is what I'm, you know, this is my out. Um, And it's always kind of lurking in the back of the mind. Once your mind has gone there, it kind of revisits it when things aren't quite where you want it yet. You're at this place where you're so numb to everything. You're so past feeling that someone can actually be telling you some really beautiful things Um, sometimes it just doesn't go in because you don't believe it you come to a point where you hate yourself so much and you have yourself so convinced that you're unworthy unlovable not enough you know, whatever it is at the root, um, a failure, a disappointment, whatever it is, that belief can be stronger than anyone else. But you've got to lean on those who love you and lean into what they believe about you because it's the only way you're really going to get out because your belief is ch- choking everything in your life to the point you want to end it I just remember this one thing though was was critical for me I was laying there in bed you know I knew it was late in the day 
it wasn't, you know, there's no chance for me getting out of that bed. I didn't, I didn't have anything to go to. I didn't have anything to live for. Um, and my mom, she said something to me that, that helped kind of get my, my candle flickering again. And she was, she was emotional about it. And I, I felt kind of a little way guilty, but I was past feeling, um, but she told me, Annalie, if, if you won't consider living your life for you or for even me who loves you so much, think about your kids, your children in heaven right now who desperately want you to be their mother and if you end your life you will never have the choice blessing of having those children in your life they will go to someone else but they want to come to you and you've got to make the choice to live for them and I remember those words didn't really sink in. It just was kind of like, yeah, yeah, you say that. You're my mom, right? But then I got to thinking, you know, this, this life really is a choice. You, you know, you do have the choice if you want to end your life. But you also have the choice to turn it around and decide you want to live it. And you've got to find a strong why. You know, why do you want to live? And at that point, I had no why. But but my mom knew I always wanted to be a mother. And so she tapped into something that at one point was very alive for me. And I thought, you know, you know, here I am in my parents' basement. No job, but like no no hope for what I thought to ever be in a relationship. And a lot of my friends were married. They had, they had kids. They had multiple kids. You know, they were kind of in the thick of motherhood. And um, here I am, late 20s, thinking I'll probably never get married. Um, but, you know, when my mom spoke about that, it just, it did kind of flicker in my heart that... Um, it did flicker in my heart that the hope of yes there is still the chance that I can be a mom and if I if I could if I if that could be a chance um, that's something worth living for so that that kind of helped me get a little bit of the hope back but you got to understand it was a flicker and then it went out again and you know it takes it takes the right kind of people rallied around you to keep that flame going and you can you can't just please don't um don't be alone that's one of the biggest things um and and I just think of you know 
people in this pandemic that's <laughs> a lot of people are alone but you you got to call up a friend and maybe you just are silent on the other end and you you know that you you need to tell somebody but you can't but just just say it that i i have i've been considering taking my life and i need to hear you tell me why i matter and why i should stay and if you say that people people will help you fill in that blank that you feel like there's nothing but the people that love you they know that you are made for so much more and that this spot that you're in this winter this this nothing it will pass and it passed for me and i thought it i thought it i thought if there was no hope but things changed once i got into that this excellent therapist it really was what turned things around for me like my therapist he had hope in me he he like instilled like a vision of um like like he gave me um respect for life and he would give me really good examples of people changing their lives around and um that I could do that myself and I really needed someone to believe in me um and I, I'm so grateful to him <laughs> and I learned cognitive behavioral therapy skills which um you know I do really feel like there's a lot of great skills in that that I still try to use today and um and there was just hope like he would give me things to work on and it would help and one of the first things I remember noticing that I'm like how did I not really notice this but I just said really pay attention to the voice in your head and what it's telling you and before that it just was like I don't know is this like this tape recorder would say all of these things all of these things but I wasn't even fully aware of it it was just like I was experiencing it but when he kind of pulled back the curtain and said notice what your brain is telling you like just pay attention to all like the thoughts the feelings just you know be aware um and we'll talk about it in your next appointment and um you know, really understanding that there was no good thoughts going through my brain. And I, I mean, I, I obviously knew that, but just kind of stepping away from it and looking at it for what it was, he kind of helped me realize, no wonder you want to end your life. Like, this is what you're listening to nonstop, this chatter, this self-hatred this and he's like we've got to change this inner voice one little step at a time and that was one of the biggest things of getting myself out of that um this continual like despair I would find myself in and um you know because my thoughts would be the worst when I was alone and so he helped me kind of face those alone demons by really addressing that voice and starting to combat it with 
you know, more positive thoughts and just like saying, you know, just kind of um, speaking to it like, okay, I know you just told me that I'm a failure and all of these things, but I'm choosing to just uh, point my finger at you and say that I'm not going to, I'm not going to buy into this right now. I'm going to just push these, I'm going to push you thought, I'm going to push you away. You're, you know, you're, you're bothering me right now. I'm just going to push you away and think about this. And so it was this kind of this process of, um, changing my thoughts and changing what I believed. And that dug myself out of the hole, probably the most, um, but it took, it did take professional help. He was a really good therapist and the therapist I had been seeing before, it wasn't helping. So if you're in a dark spot and maybe you've never seen a therapist, um, right now though, there's a lot of, um, there's so many resources now where you don't have to actually go into an office. There's a lot of things virtually. So I feel like therapy is easier than ever to to benefit from. Um, Before moving on, I just want to include here some resources for online therapy. Um, so the first one is betterhelp.com. Um, you know, you can connect with a therapist through there. There's also talkspace.com. Um, these are the two top ones that I could see. I know there's other uh, ones out there as well, but these had, you know, good ratings. You can, in the comforts of your own home, talk to someone and you can be in your pajamas if you want. Um, that's one great thing about online therapy. So if you're really hurting right now, I really strongly suggest that. Just remember, if you get a therapist and you're not clicking and it's not working, you're not finding hope, you don't feel like you're making progress, switch. Switch to a better therapist. Don't write out a bad therapist. It doesn't work. Um, there's a lot of, there are a lot of great therapists out there, but it does take kind of the right one to make the pro most progress for you. Now, another thing is I found um, an awesome podcast on suicide. And this is featuring suicide survivors. Really wanted to suggest this to you. The podcast is called Suicide Noted. Just wanted to read a few reviews on this podcast real quick because I think it could be so valuable. You know, here I am kind of sharing my story, but maybe you don't really resonate with my story. And so this other podcast, there are so many other stories that you know, it's just so helpful to feel like you're not alone. Um, so someone rated this podcast saying, um, this podcast is incredible because you get to hear from people who have gone so far into darkness and who have emerged, thankfully, to tell their stories. Another one said, I am a survivor because of this podcast. Um, another said, it can be triggering but it is worth the listen to hear how far others have come. And a lot of them had said, yes, it's just so comforting to know I am not alone. So I was really grateful to have found this other podcast because, you know, I felt so strongly to do this podcast. But um, this other podcast is, is solely geared to 
uh, suicide survivors. And I love that because they have all come out on the other side. And so, you know, when you're in the dark, it's so helpful to know that there's others that have been through it and have come out of it. So highly recommend that that podcast. So again, please learn from my mistakes. And some of the mistakes that I made was that I didn't tell anybody that I was suicidal. I didn't tell um, any friends. I didn't tell any family. I was just trying to um, do it on my own. Um, another mistake was I wasn't I wasn't getting myself out there in a social setting. So I was I was I was very isolated you know, living at my parents' home and not really associating with people. Um, another mistake that I made was not switching therapists. I went over that. Another mistake is I wasn't actively seeking, um, like, community support resources. Keep in mind, though, there really wasn't a whole lot for me in my area. And even there wasn't nearly... The amount of resources as you can find nowadays online and through other means. Like, for instance, this Suicide Noted podcast, that would have been so helpful. Um, there's so many other great podcasts. There's, I mean, that opens up this whole new realm. Um, there are some other resources that I do want to go over with you, but I won't be able to have time in this podcast episode, but I do plan to cover these next podcast episodes. So there will be a part three of the suicide series. Um, but right now I want to focus on a topic that, you know, I, it it addresses one of my mistakes and this mistake was not calling the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline. I wish I would have called that number especially with me being so isolated. That would have been amazing to talk to somebody in when I was going through that. So I just want to demystify calling this National Suicide Hotline the 800-273 talk so that you don't make my same mistake of not calling this number when I should have. But in reality, I didn't even know the number. So I just want to help you know the number and help you feel okay about calling it. So first off, I want you to grab a piece of paper and pen or get ready to program this number right into your phone. You may not be suicidal right now, but you never know when you could be or when someone who you love or you care about could be. So regardless, I want you to program this into your phone. So are you ready? <laughs> Did you grab the piece of paper and the pen? I sure hope so. I'm pausing for you. <laughs> or better yet, just pause me. But um, just want you to be ready. So here we go. The number is again 800 273 talk or 8255. And again, this is the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline. <laughs> Sorry, I keep on saying hotline, but it is lifeline. I actually called them and 
I just wanted to kind of maybe answer some of your questions or your hesitations about, you know, why would I want to talk to someone who's a stranger, who doesn't know me, it feels uncomfortable. So when I called, I learned how this number works is based on your area code. It routes your call to your area. Um, Usually it's kind of statewide. Um, It can be region-wide, it sounds like. It depends. Obviously, each state is a little bit different in how they do things, but the national suicide number does route you to your area. Another question is, do I have to be in absolute crisis to be able to call? What if I just want to talk to someone or I'm struggling and I'm battling these thoughts, but I'm not, I don't really have a plan and, you know, I'm just like, yeah, I'm not like in the moment. So, you know, when I talked to the person I was talking to and also the supervisor, they both reiterated that you don't need to be in absolute crisis in order to call. Um, so oftentimes people are just struggling and that's completely fine to call. You know, it it is a number though that it is a crisis line. So if things get busy and you're talking to them for a long time, there is another line provided. Um, there's warm lines. Those lines are more for those that just need to talk to someone. And I found out that the warm lines, at least here in my state, uh, those are staffed by peer specialists. So that is awesome. So someone that has gone through, you know, similar struggles, um, not sure if everyone who staffs that call has been suicidal in the past, but usually peer specialists you know, me working in the mental health space, they are usually ones that um, have gone through some really difficult times. And so, you know, to be a good peer, they know what it's, know what it's like. So I couldn't guarantee that they could have been suicidal in the past, but there's probably a good chance. So that's kind of nice to know that a warm line in your state could be ear to ear talking to someone who gets it has been there and in the show notes i will include a national warm line directory so this will give all of the warm line numbers uh, state by state but of course you can still call the the hotline to to still just talk things through um so either way you know, don't feel like, oh, I'm not in crisis. I can't call the hotline. That is fine. They're, they welcome those calls. They will help you wherever you're at. And I, and the reason why I felt comfortable calling, honestly, because I'm like, I, I'm not in crisis. I'm not struggling, but I know that I'm trying to help you who may be struggling and you may be struggling, feeling comfortable calling the number. And I explained that as soon as I called them and they're like, oh yeah, I'll talk to you. And and they said, um, and I actually knew this, that's why I called, but I, but they did again, tell me, which was nice that, 
you know, family can even call, you know, someone who is concerned about you, you know, if, and if you're a family member right now listening to this, worried about your loved one, you can call the suicide prevention line and get some great advice and help. And that is such a great resource. So one of your questions probably is, who will I be talking to if I call this number? And it's going to vary from state to state. But in my state, I learned that everyone who staffs the call is a licensed therapist, which I thought was awesome. Um, you know, I did also ask to speak to a supervisor to try to learn, you know, what's common nationwide. And the supervisor couldn't tell me, but he said... Um, you know, if they're not licensed, um, usually the person is still well qualified, knowing every state has to go through, um, you know, different training to de-escalate a situation. You know, these aren't just rookies handling this call. Um, they're well trained, even if they're not a licensed therapist, you know, in a different state. Um, to even, you know, do a call. When I talked to the supervisor, he said usually there's a process where they shadow and listen to other calls and how they're handled. Um, so, you know, they feel comfortable, you know, handling any person that may be any in any type of situation. Maybe you're worried that, oh no, if I call this number, are they going to send a police officer to my house? That is not the case. Um, they actually don't even have um, like tracing the call technology hooked up. I learned this from, um, you know, calling them. So the only way someone could come to your location is if you do divulge your location. And so just feel safe that this really is a number just to talk to. In rare circumstances, though, um, they have send a police officer if someone is in imminent danger, maybe they're in the middle of um, attempting suicide. Um, and so they'll do their best to get the location so they can help. Another question you have is probably, how confidential will this call be? Are they going to share my information and everything that I tell them? So it is good to know that... Um, these calls are confidential. Um, however, they do, they would have to by law, by HIPAA, you know, by HIPAA, they are bound to break confidentiality only if you are going to hurt someone else or you're abusing another adult or child. But you've got to realize you're calling the suicide prevention hotline. So if you are in crisis, you know, they're going to do what they can to help you. But, you know, you're talking to the person. You do have a choice and a say of what you're willing to accept. But they definitely want to make sure you're not hurting yourself, right? So they're going to help you in that regard. What are some of the resources you might be connected with? Depending on your state, I know in my state they do have a mobile outreach team, which consists of, 
you know, in my state, therapists, peer specialists, um, and they can, you know, be there the same day. Um, the person I talked to said, you know, they could be there within a couple of hours if need be. So it's nice that, you know, there's people that care that can come out if needed. Of course, you know, if it was like in the moment and needed it immediately, you know, they help with the ER. Um, also, they do safety plans. They can help you with a, with a safety plan and, you know, get you connected to some good community resources. Since the call is routed to your area, that whoever's answering the call, um, you know, most likely, and I know for sure in my state, that they know the community resources. Um, so they can definitely refer any uh, community service that would be helpful to you in your situation, which I know, you know, working in the mental health field, that is so huge. Oftentimes people, since they're isolated and just struggling and not knowing what help is out there, you know, sometimes it just takes getting with the right resource and it opens up a completely different world of help that they can get on their feet quickly and have a community of support. And it's amazing the turnaround that can happen when they get linked with the right, with the right community resource. Another question you might have is, how long can I expect to talk to this person on the phone? So I learned that you know, you could talk to this person an hour if you needed to. Um, 30, to. 30 minutes to an hour is kind of on the long side that they definitely feel those type of calls. But they said it's amazing how fast people can kind of feel relief. Um, and so sometimes it's a few minutes. Um, it sounds like 15 minutes is kind of the average call, but again, it depends on, you know, the person in the situation. Don't feel bad if, if the call goes for a long time, that's what the line is for. Um, but two, if you just want to talk to someone for a few minutes and you're like, oh no, if I call the number, are we going to be talking for hours? Um, it's really up to you and what your, what your comfort level is, what your need is. And, um, so that might be helpful to know. Now I did ask the licensed therapist that I was talking to, what are the number two things you wish a suicidal person could understand? And the person told me, that it's okay to talk. It was made very clear that that is kind of the number one thing that they want people to understand that, um, that they're there and they understand that people can be in some very dark spots, feeling alone, feeling isolated. And this pandemic is certainly one of those times. So, you know, when you're talking to a person who wants to talk to you, you know, that is helpful. The number two is just recognizing 
that, you know, these situations happen that um, sometimes you feel alone. But I mean, statistically, you know, they were telling me the main people who call, and this isn't necessarily across the board. Again, I'm talking to one one licensed therapist in my state, um, but in their experience, and they had been working there for a, for a long time. I think it was. Oh, I think she said she had been working there for about ten years, but um, she saw most often people who were calling in. The number one diagnosis was for depression. The number two diagnosis was for bipolar and other mood disorders. And then the third was severe anxiety. So um, so it's good to understand that, you know, these things happen and you're not the only one. Okay, I also want to say just real quick, <laughs> this is just kind of, I don't know, maybe this is just a little bit petty of me, but I called... A different time, the National Suicide Prevention Line, um, I did have a follow-up question, but in the second time that I called, you know, I was kind of waiting for a while, and so I kind of listened to their hold uh, music. It was super cheesy, and the voice, I'm sure, I don't know how they do these recordings, maybe they purchased it through whatever, but it would have been nice to have kind of like a voice that said, you know, we are so sorry you're going through this difficult time. We are finding, we are um, routing your call. It will be answered as soon as we can. You know, your life matters to us. Uh, please, please hang with us. You know, something like that, just a little bit more caring. But instead, it was like this cheesy music. And it was this robotic voice of, please stay on the line while your call is directed to an available responder. And I was just like, oh, I don't know. Like if I was calling the number and I was in a difficult place, like suicidal, I don't know. I'd just be like, do you guys even really care? Been on this call for three minutes. Maybe no thank you. So just a heads up. Um. Once I got on the line, I did talk to someone who was very caring, very, very, um, uh, you know, equipped. But if I had just been waiting on that line, I may have hung up. <laughs> so just wanted to let you know that. Okay, this question might help you if you are a family member or friend listening to this. I did ask the suicide prevention line, how can someone be the best support to someone who is suicidal? And the main thing is just to give support and love and willing to listen. Um, you know, just listening is huge. And not trying to fix it all, you know, just listening and being with that person in their pain. That is so valuable. Um, and, you know, when you can say things like, you know, thank you for telling me. And now we can get through this together. Um, I don't, I don't know necessarily all the answers, but you don't need to be alone in this anymore. I'm going to, 
I am, I am going to be right here by your side and you can come to me when you need me. And I, I, you know, I'm going to check in and, um, Hey, let's go do something together. Um, you know, trying to help that person not be alone. Um, now one of the things that you should not do is to say like, wow, I can't believe that you're suicidal. You've got so many things going for you. You're so lucky, you know, and then count off all these things. Like you got this and you got that. And, and, um, you know, there is a place for that conversation maybe later, but when someone is suicidal, that's not helpful because that totally disregards how the person is feeling. And it also brings on this shame and guilt for even feeling that way. Um, you know, empathy is the best thing. Okay, here's a good resource if you are a family member or a friend worried about someone with suicide. It is be the one two dot com and that's be the the number one to.com and it's a great website okay one other thing if you don't feel comfortable calling and talking to somebody maybe texting is more your thing and that's just a lot easier um i don't want to undervalue though that the the power of talking to another person where you can hear their voice they can hear yours um I did want you to know, though, there is this um, crisis text line. And if you text HOME, H-O-M-E, to the number is 741-741. So it just repeats itself. So text HOME to 741-741. And that is for U.S. and Canada. Um, but this will connect you with a crisis counselor and, um, crisis counselor is usually a trained volunteer. I actually did text this number as well and asked, okay, what are the certifications of someone that, um, you know, fields these texts and they're a crisis counselor with, you know, uh, training, um, and, so that might be a good route for you if you just want to send a text. And be prepared. You know, when I sent the text, it was a little bit hiccupy in the beginning. It was like, um, are you there? And then it was like, then it had kind of a, um automated response. And then, you know, connecting you with a... um. A crisis, I can't remember what it said, but there there is a little bit of a lag time in the beginning. But then once we were connected, it was pretty quick in real time. Um, I hope I've answered some of your main questions so you feel comfortable because you don't need to feel like, oh man, what kind of help am I going to get? Is this going to be weird? You know, hopefully this demystified it for you. 
I feel like I'm talking too much now. I'm going to end. <laughs> but hopefully that helps. Uh, I just, I just want to give you the ladder. I want to put down the rope. And I hope in a way this has. Please know that I do this with, <laughs> with love in my heart for you. I, I just want you to be able to get through this and just get out of the hole and then get the resources that you you need. You're you're gonna make it through. You know, storm clouds don't last forever. But when you're in that dark nimbus cloud with the lightning and the thunder and just all of that just all of that percolating in your brain and it <sighs> um, you gotta get out of the cloud you know come out of the cloud get your feet on some solid ground and let those clouds roll by Before we end, I need your help. I just can't do this without you. I am trying to reach people who are suicidal during this high-risk time. When you search for suicide in a, a search for a podcast, my my podcast won't come up because I don't have reviews, I don't have um, ratings, and so that's how a podcast gets visibility. And I'm really asking you, for the people out there who may need this, who can't find it, they don't even know this podcast exists. This isn't for me. I, I just want to be able to reach people who need this. And that means I need your help to rate and review it. And um, if you could just take like seriously five seconds and you can just say, thank you for this podcast. Hopefully put a good rating. That would mean the world because um, it really does help. Um, and again, you know, that doesn't take long at all. Um, so if you would do that, I would be so appreciative and know that you're doing, doing that to help others find this. Thank you. Also remember to check the show notes for other resources I've mentioned. Okay, to end this podcast episode, I do want to end with some song recommendations. And for sake of time, I'm just going to leave them in the show notes. But again, you know, when you're in such a dark place, um, there is something about music that can reach, reach that place that nothing else can. And so I just wanted to include some songs that have spoken to me, and I hope that they will speak to you, you know, hope and to feel, um, encouraged and above all to feel of God's love for you. And as always, thank you for listening. Mm -hmm.